Hello, and thank you for joining us. This is Brian, your host of the Parish the Thought Show. The opinions of said host and our guests have not been sanitized or scientifically tested, so please consume at your own risk. Ladies and gentlemen, and whoever else is listening, welcome back to the program. After suffering for years with the grueling pain of sciatica and only being given band-aids to endure it, my next guest finally complained loud enough to his physician. An MRI was ordered. He was diagnosed with stage 4 chondrosarcoma, cancer of the connective tissues in the pelvis. A possible death sentence for a husband and father of four girls in his mid-50s. The decision was made. Swift surgery took place and saved his life, but at a huge cost. Settle in for this amazing journey down the rabbit hole of despair to the pinnacle of selfless servant. Thank you for joining me, Chris Christensen. This is your story to tell. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So um, the story uh, began actually quite a number of years ago. Uh, I had suffered with sciatica pains for years. I'd attributed them largely to some discs that had herniated in my spine and had been pinching the sciatic nerve. And so I'd go in on a regular basis and get injections for them to um, reduce the swelling and help the discs uh, from pinching on the nerve. And those helped by and large until a couple of years ago when it didn't seem how many injections I got, it, the, um, the sciatica never seemed to go away. Um, and I kept complaining to my doctor about this and his answer was, well, let's just try another injection. And uh, while we were doing all of this, uh, I kept complaining to him that there was a growing pain in my left hip that it seemed like no matter what I did, um, no matter what position I tried to stretch in and all of that, that the uh, left hip was just getting really, really sore. In fact, there was kind of this place where the bone was sticking out a little bit. It was seeming rather unusual, if not unnatural. And so finally, after a while, when he got sick and tired of me complaining about my sciatica and my sore hip, he said, well, darn it, let's just get an MRI on that hip and see what's going on. So on September 2nd of 2020, I took the prescription for an MRI that he gave me and went down and had an MRI scan done. Uh, later that afternoon, he called me back. And when I asked him how he was doing, he said something to the effect of um, he wished he was doing better uh, because he had some pretty bad news to give me. And at that moment, my heart sank down into the soles of my shoes, wondering just what the heck he was going to say. And uh, what he said next uh, forever changed my life. He said, you have uh, on the inside of your left hip, a large and aggressively growing mass. And it's growing very, very rapidly. And you need to go see a specialist. And so I paused him. I was like, whoa, 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 wait, what do you mean uh, a growing, uh, aggressively growing mass? I said, are you talking cancer? And he said, that's exactly what I'm talking about. And he said, and you need to go see a specialist right away um, uh, to see what can be done. So the very next day, he had me scheduled to go see a, uh, a, a specialist who specializes in osteo-oncology. That's, of course, oncology on the study of bones. Right. And so the very next day, he got me into an appointment with her 
where she um, had received all of the images from the MRI and the diagnostic reports from the radiologist. And we got to talking about it. And so when I went down there the next day, she said to me, what you've got here is what's called a chondrosarcoma. A chondrosarcoma, if you're not aware, is a cancer of the chondroitin or the connective tissue that's in between bones in your body. So in between the plates of your hip and pelvis are connective tissues called chondroitins. And those chondroitins um, can get cancer. And that's exactly what I was having. I was having cancer of that connective tissue. And that's what was causing the bulge that was sticking out of my left hip. And she said, now, this is pretty advanced. In fact, this is a very aggressive stage four cancer. And she said, um, there's really not much we can do about it other than surgery. Surgery is really the only option. So after uh, some conversations with her and after uh, getting arrangements to do some biopsies, we consulted again. And finally, it was determined that on the 22nd of September, so this is only 10 days later, that I would have to go in for emergency surgery because according to the biopsies and according to the people who were studying um, uh, my cancer, they said it was growing so rapidly that I really only had a few weeks at best, uh, maybe a month or two on the outside, but it could happen at any time. So they figured a few weeks at best before the cancer actually erupted and filled my bloodstream with cancer cells. And she said, now the problem with that is that once it erupts, the cancer cells go straight for the lungs. And then once they get to the lungs, then like that, it's over. Because there's not much they can do once those cancer cells get in there because these cancer cells only come out by surgery. Radiation doesn't work, chemotherapy doesn't work. Um, nothing works, only surgery. So they gotta cut them out in order to get rid of the cells. And so, um, as you might imagine, it was a very emotional moment, but we decided on the 22nd of September that I'd go into surgery, have my left leg, my left hip and my left pelvis surgically removed to get rid of all the cancer cells uh, and save my life. Uh, seeing as how it was so imminently close, it, I really didn't have much of a choice but to do it as rapidly as we did. So let me pause there and, um, and let me ask you if you have any questions up to this point. Yeah. Tell me, you, you, you know, the, you said the emotions, but what, what goes through your mind? What, I mean, help me understand what that was like, just mm. the things you were thinking when they said, okay, stage four, you hear that and you're like, uh, it's over. Is that, there's no other stages beyond that, right? That's it. <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty much it. Once you get to that stage, it's, uh, it's a, a death sentence pretty much. Um, and so when I heard that, of course, my toes did shrink or my heart shrank all the way down to the bottom of my toes. And I thought, I am a goner. What on earth? I'm not ready to go yet. I'm only, I'm, I'm still a relatively young guy. Uh, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not ready to go. What about my family? What about my kids? Who's going to take care of all these people? Uh, what about all the things I still wanted to do? I mean, there's, there's just so much that's going on um, that 
I'm going to miss and so much so that I don't want to lose that now getting a diagnosis like this was just shattering. I mean, um, it, it put me to tears and it put me to tears really quickly because I just didn't know what, I didn't know what to expect and I didn't know what it was going to mean and I didn't know how to handle it. I didn't know how to process it. In fact, the best that I could come up with is, uh, or was that this is something that's supposed to happen to other people. It's not supposed to happen to me. This was not in my plan. I, I, I wasn't planning on getting cancer and I certainly wasn't planning on getting my left lower extremities completely amputated in order to save my life. So it was this mixture of scared um, plus fear and, and even a little bit of anger there. Like, why, why is this happening to me? Um, it's not supposed to be happening to me. So, you know, it was all of this happening all at once and really became kind of a, a, a challenging thing for me in that moment, you know? So I just didn't know what to think of it. I didn't know how to make sense of it other than this was, this was going to be really, really hard. Sounds like a very normal reaction. Well, I would imagine, I imagine anybody who was in my shoes would have had a fairly normal uh, or have responded similarly. So yeah, I think that probably would have been quite normal for just about anybody. So you and I are in the same faith. What did that challenge? I mean, how did you wrap your head around that? That's a pretty vague question, but well, no, you know, every night I get on my knees and say my prayers and every morning I try to do the same thing to kick off my day. And uh, I've been practicing my faith for a lot of years now. And, um, you know, in the tenets of my faith, obviously I believe that God has all kinds of power. And not only can he create the heavens and the earth, but he can certainly come along and uh, heal somebody's sickness if um, that's what's supposed to be done. And he can certainly take care of that. And so um, here I was in this situation and wondering, well, well what, what about my sickness? What about where I'm coming from? How come... How, how come the world can be created in whatever period of time it takes to create a world, and yet um, I can't keep my leg? Or how come all of these marvelous miracles can happen everywhere else, and um, you know I I, I I can't get rid of something like cancer? And so it was, to be sure, uh, challenging to those core fundamental beliefs about who I thought I was and who I thought about um, my relationship to deity and all of that stuff. It was kind of an existential moment, you know, where you got to come face to face with some pretty serious questions. Have you gotten answers to that yet? Um, yes and no. The why. Uh, yeah, you know, so first of all, there is no why to ask the question of why, why me, why this, why now, why any of it, is a fruitless question to be asking. That question goes absolutely nowhere good. The only direction that goes is down the toilet. Uh, you start asking that question about why 
why, why, and next thing you know, you're in a rabbit hole so deep you can't dig yourself out. So I realized early on and through my own previous life experiences that um, it would serve me no good to be asking the why question. Um, so instead, I started turning to questions around what and how and who, and specifically, what should I be doing? Uh, how should I be doing it? And who should I be doing it with? These became more of the questions that helped see the day. Um, you know, like, for example, the doctors, which doctor should I see? Who? You know, who should I be doing this with? What about my family and friends? Who should I be sharing all of this stuff with? Um, how? how? How should I be tackling this thing? Um, how should I go about my day to day from here on out? How should I approach things when they get tough? Um, you know, the, the questions needed to change in order for me to get through it and have any sort of um, resemblance of normal life. I guess, I guess you could turn that, you know, I see, I see what you're saying about the, you know, the why taking you down into a dark hole, but maybe changing that to the what, yeah, what, the, what, not the why me, but, you know, why not me? And then what am I going to do with all this, what you've done? I mean, this is, you're in it, you know, I got to move on and what good things are going to come from this because of this, this new lifestyle and, you know, and I just, I know the impact that you've had on, on me, you know, I considered you a good friend. I never kept in touch with you until I found out you're, um, you were going through this on a, on a, uh, a GoFundMe page. Um, so just as a, as a side note, that's, that's one plus that's happened from this is, is I've been, it's allowed me to get back in touch with you. That's well, you all. And I've, I've been inspired beyond all inspiration watching you go through the things you've gone through. Cause that's no small feat. Well, you know, thank you for that. I made a very conscious choice very early on through this whole process that I was not going to go down the dark rabbit holes as much as possible. I was, I was going to avoid that with every ounce of energy that I could muster to fight it. In fact, I was going to um, instead redirect my thinking and my questionings to just those very things like what can I learn from this? Whose life can I benefit from this? How can I, uh, how can I share um, other people's uh, concerns, their loads? Because I was not the only one who was suffering. My friends were suffering. My family was suffering. Um, uh, I, I was not in this thing by myself, not by a long shot. In fact, um, when the word got out that I was in, in trouble, uh, and that my cancer was uh, so urgent um, and that my stay in the hospital was so uh, particularly uh, challenging. It was going to be very challenging that um, word went around like wildfire and pretty soon members of my congregation, in addition to all the members of my family, united in their in their faith and in their praying and then their other religious observances for me but then they started passing the word around 
So my colleagues from work found out about it, obviously, as well. And so they started to do that, too. And then they got their friends. And my family and friends got their friends and their other relatives. And pretty soon, it got back to me that there were several hundred people, probably on the magnitude of four or five or four, four or five hundred or more people that were made aware of what it was I was going through and uh, just how much I needed their collective strength in order to get through it all. And so uh, I was absolutely flabbergasted by the response that I received. Um, and that's when one of my wife's dear friends put up a GoFundMe page because obviously this cancer stuff costs a lot of money. The surgeries alone have so far cost uh, well over $2 million. Mind-blowing. And um, then there are all of the other therapies that are going to happen from here on out. Uh, plus, there will be some follow-up surgeries that I'll have to go through. And so before this is all said and done, the cost is going to be astronomical. And there's no way that I can pay for it out of my own pocket. And so the kindness of others, uh, primarily the kindness of strangers, as well as the kindness of family and friends, would have to be relied upon in order to make it through. And of course, it didn't help it at all that this was just at the end of the year at fall and uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas were coming up. And um, you know, I had to take a leave of absence from work, which meant not only was I not working, but that my income, even though I had insurance, my income was greatly reduced. So how was I going to take care of my responsibilities as husband, as father, as provider for my family? And so um, when word got out and a GoFund page was started on my behalf, um, people's well wishes and their donations started coming in. And those donations have frankly seen the day. If it weren't for the kindness of others, um, I don't know how we would have made it this far. Um, I. I honestly don't have a clue how we would have made it this far. It's thanks to all those people who gave whatever they could give, uh, has paid the bills. It's made sure Christmas was taken care of for my kids. It uh, has you know, kept the lights on and the heat going in the house. So uh, you know, it's, it's getting the word out, but doing so in an authentic way. It was... Um, I didn't want to make a spectacle of myself, but I also didn't want to hide uh, from the reality that I was going through either. And so it, it took a lot of work to become authentically owning this situation and then being able to write about it. So I found that writing uh, became an outlet for me to process this and process it in such a way that others could process it with me. So I wrote blog posts and Facebook postings and got those onto uh, the GoFundMe page where people could uh, stop and read and experience what I was processing for myself. And so it was a great outlet for me and a great way to keep other people informed and to do so in hopefully what was a very honest way. And it was, uh, I, I was just refreshing reading up some of those this morning and uh, it's quite, in, I mean, it, at the very least, it's very entertaining. You're very witty, which you know you've always have been. But um, you know, I always kind of when I met you, gosh, clear. I don't know, five six years ago. Um, there's there's few there's few guys in my life that 
um, that when I meet, I just, I know I want to be around that person and you were one of them. And again, I, uh, this is a reflection on my dedication as a friend, which was less than, uh, stellar because I didn't even keep in touch with you after you moved out of Utah. <laughs> um, but I feel like no time has passed since we were working in the office together. And yeah. It's pretty natural to get back together now, isn't it? Yeah. And, but in all your, and I was just, as you were describing how many people were coming to, you know, coming to aid, you found out you were kind of more of a big deal than you thought in a good way, you know, and that's because you, you, you are the kind of man and the care and has such a character that I'm, I'm not surprised at all that you had that many people rallying around you because well, you, you do good and you are good. You never know how many people you've impacted until right. they come out of the woodwork. Yeah. And I had no idea, absolutely zero idea that so many people had been influenced or impacted by me in ways where they felt like or thought that they could or should want to give back uh, in support of me and my family. And so, yeah, that's been, uh, that's been amazing to see. In fact, I, I've been brought to tears more than once with the kindness that's been demonstrated to me. So, um, yeah, it's been, it's been pretty remarkable. And, uh, and I never knew it. I never knew it at the time when things were happening, uh, you know, as, you, as I start relating to other people. And I certainly uh, don't have any appreciation really for, um, I don't have as much appreciation for it now as perhaps I should uh, about just, you know, how deeply relationships between other people can be and just what that means. Is there, have you discovered parts of yourself that you didn't know were there? <laughs> well, I've actually discovered parts of myself that are no longer there oh. with me, <laughs> but that's another, that's another <laughs> issue altogether. Um, Guess I set myself up for that one. Well, uh, I found that, um, so I, after my initial surgery, I stayed in the hospital seven weeks. Um, they had me there seven weeks recovering from the initial surgery, going through all these tests and all of these other things. And those were a lot of lonely, long seven weeks, I'll tell you that. And um, as it turns out, uh, you know, when you're in the, it's in the middle of the night and there's nobody around except the night nurses and the night nurses don't come around all that often. And you're stuck there with your, with your own thoughts um, it's a pretty, it's a pretty unfavorable place to be. However, one of those nights I made a decision. I made a decision that, um, I was going to render service, even though I couldn't, um, do much. I, I was just laying in bed for heaven's sakes. I was going to serve everybody and anybody who came into my hospital room. So whatever that service could be. So if it was just somebody coming by, I'd wish them a really nice day. I'd try to be um, happy for them as much as I would be uh, anything else. I wanted them to feel like they were important to me, special to me. Cleaning people would come around and, uh, and mop the floor and I would just tell them how grateful I was that my floor was clean. Um, uh, on one occasion, 
uh, I had a box of chocolates that had been brought up to me. I couldn't get out of bed to reach the box of chocolates, mind you, uh, but they well, were sitting on it. That's a yeah. cake yeah, right there. Yeah, there isn't there some irony there. <laughs> but uh, uh, they were on the other side of the room on a shelf. And so one night the cleaning lady came around and she was mopping up the floor. And I said, hey, uh, do me a favor. There's a box of chocolates up there on that shelf. What I want you to do is I want you to reach inside of that box. and I want you to grab one. And I want you to grab one that you think you would like. And I want you to take it with you and I want you to eat it. Uh, that would mean a lot to me if you did that. And she says, I can't do that. And I said, yes, you can. Just reach inside the box, grab a chocolate, put it in your pocket, and go and eat it somewhere. And um, so she put her hand inside the box of chocolates. And she says, there's only one left. I can't do this. And I said, well, look, then it's perfect. It was meant just for you. So she pulled it out. And she said, oh, look at that. It's my favorite flavor. And I said, see, this was definitely intended for you. So go put it in your pocket. And when you've got a moment, sit down and eat it, enjoy it. And then she burst into tears. Now, this is a great big black woman uh, who was a single mother and clearly was working a minimum wage job. And uh, she was there in the middle of the night sweeping my floor. And she was bursting into tears and I, my heart sank again. And I thought, oh my, what have I done? And so I asked her, uh, what, what, what was it that I'd done to uh, hurt her feelings? Was there something that I'd said, something I'd done? Uh, how could I make it better? And she said, no, it's none of that at all. She said, do you realize in my whole life, no one has ever done anything like this for me before. Nobody in her whole life had so much as given her a piece of chocolate out of the kindness of their hearts. And so she burst into tears. And so I burst into tears and together we cried. And I said, then it was destined to be, you needed to be here. You needed to have this chocolate. Heaven's sakes, I didn't need chocolate. Chocolate's nice, but she needed it way worse than I did or some silly piece of chocolate and it made the difference for her. And so she'll never forget that and neither will I. I'll never forget that just making a simple act of service, a simple act of kindness like that can change the lives of other human beings in ways you have absolutely no comprehension of until after they tell you, if they even bother to tell you. So that became a big lesson for me, just serve. If you want to feel good about yourself, serve. Even if your leg's been cut off, serve. Even if you've had to lose your colon because of, because of infection, uh, serve. If you serve, you're going to feel better about yourself than anything else you can do, no matter what else uh, you've got going on. Service is the key to, uh, to those good, warm feelings, and it gets you back closer in track with your God than anything else. It's almost... As weird as it sounds, service is almost a selfish act because you know it's selfless and selfish at the same time because you know you're going to do some good for somebody, but you know that you're going to gain some warm fuzzies, you know, for lack of a better term, because of it as well. Well, yes and no. Now, mind you, had I known that that would have been her reaction, had I known that that would have been the way she would have experienced things, 
And my giving it to her uh, so that I could produce those reactions in her, that would have been very selfish and that would have been dishonest. That would have been totally dishonest. I had to do it authentically. That is, I had to do it out of the kindness of my heart in the moment in which it was happening. I had to do it because it was the right thing to do in that moment. And there was no way to know unless that moment was there. And so that moment came and that moment happened and I was able to do it. And that's what made all the difference. And so in that moment, we both were blessed. We were both benefited. We both received a blessing because of it at the same time over the same thing. And, and every house has a story and you just never know what's going on inside someone's, you know, someone's home, someone's life. That's, are you still in touch with this woman? Nope. No, nope. I, I have no idea what's become of her. Uh, it wasn't too long after that, that I was released. And when they released from the hospital, it happens pretty quickly. Uh, all of a sudden, one day the nurses come in, the doctors come in, they give you a whole bunch of papers, they walk through a bunch of things, they sign off, they put you on a wheelchair and they wheel you to the front door and away you go. Yeah, um, back. So it's, yeah, there's, there's not much of a chance to say goodbye to many people or to process any of it with anyone. And so you've got to trust, you've got to trust that um, all of this stuff will be remembered to them by God and by themselves. So out of all these experience, that's probably, are you saying that's kind of one of your most profound moments while you were there? Is just that, is that one? I mean, yeah, aside the, from all the other obvious, you know, things you're going through. Yeah. So the most profound moments really have to deal with uh, how do you get through this stuff? Uh, how do you deal with the vagaries and challenges that life throws at you? How do you deal with these setbacks and these um, things that just, cause you nothing but grief and trouble and to find out that service is really the answer it sounds very trite it sounds like a Sunday school lesson and indeed it is kind of a Sunday school lesson it kind of reminds you of when you were a little kid what do you do when you're feeling blue well you go serve somebody well it's easy to say when you're six years old and you're singing little primary songs but when you are you know, 50 something years old and you don't have a leg anymore and you have every right to feel sorry about yourself to then say, oh, well, now I better go serve somebody. Uh, it's quite a different thing to do. And so when you do it and you make the commitment to do it, um, then everything changes and it's changed everything. Now that I'm back at home and I'm starting to get on with things, uh, I find that I say thank you for everything everybody's doing for me. I say thank you for everything my wife and my children do for me. I say thank you for everything everybody who comes by to drop things off or visit. Uh, whatever they do, I try to say thank you for that. Uh, every time something nice happens, I try to give thanks and I try to do what I can to serve. And sometimes it's just getting in my wheelchair and picking up the table mats, the placemats from dinner and putting them away. Uh, because that's the only thing I can do. I can't even put my own dishes in the dishwasher. It's too hard. So, you know, you do what you can and you render the service where you can see service to be given and you count on God to make up the difference. And he does. <clears throat> so what, now that you're home or, or what's prognosis, I assume everything's in terms of health. They got it all. You're, you're clear, clean bill of health. Well, we won't know, actually. 
Yeah, so cancers, especially this kind of cancer is a strange beast. Uh, they have to monitor me with various scans and blood work every three months for the next two years. Okay. And then they have to do it once a year for every, uh, every year for five years after that. So for, next, for the next seven or eight years, I'm going to be very closely monitored to see whether or not the cancer cells are growing back because the cancer cells, the tumor was so advanced that when they had to amputate my leg, the margins between the cancer cells and the good cells was as little as one millimeter. And had they been off by one millimeter, they would have left cancer cells behind, <clears throat> which would have metastasized and turned into yet other tumors in other places. And so because those margins were so thin, they uh, decided that they have to watch me very carefully. And then if after those seven or so years go by and they can't find any evidence of the cancer, then they will declare me cancer free. But until then, I'm still a cancer patient. Until then, I have to get monitored very closely. Until then, um, I still get to wear the, the badge of cancer survivor. Um, but then, uh, not only was there cancer, uh, I mentioned this briefly in passing, but um, in order to keep the infections down from this massive, massive wound that I had, I mean, they had to cut open that whole left side of my body. Um, it created a massive set of uh, stitches and staples and wounds that they plugged me full of antibiotics. Uh, the unfortunate thing with the antibiotics is it made it susceptible, made me susceptible to yet other uh, germs and diseases. And I caught a, I caught a bacterium called C. diff. And C. diff is very nasty. Um, in fact, it was so nasty, it um, completely destroyed my large intestine and put me into septic shock. So on uh, Christmas day, I started slipping into unconsciousness and started going completely delirious. And I lost all memory of that for the next two weeks. But my wife had to take me down to, uh, pardon me, uh, the day after Thanksgiving, had to take me back down to the hospital uh, to get me checked out. Um, but this time I was taken in, um, in an ambulance with sirens blazing, going at high rates of speed only to find out that I had this extreme case of uh, septic shock from uh, bacteria that were left over from having received antibiotics from the cancer treatment, which meant they had to give me another emergency surgery where they had to take out my large intestine. And so I'm without both now. I'm without both my left leg and a large intestine and have to manage through life this way. And it's become an even bigger challenge. But yeah, with that even bigger challenge comes an opportunity to potentially show uh, my stuff. There's now a chance to really be tested to see how grateful I'm going to be for whatever life God has given me and to serve in whatever, whatever ways God will allow me to serve. And so um, it, is it is tough, it's very challenging. And my life consists of waking up doing some things around the house and going to doctor's appointments. That's what I do now. And um, it is challenging, it's very tough. And so uh, I just, 
I have to recommit every single day to not go down that rabbit hole and to find some small way to serve somebody. And now that's usually my wife and my children because they're the only ones who are here. COVID has made it impossible for other people to come by. But uh, now it's my wife and my children and who better should I serve but them? And so hopefully, hopefully it'll make all the difference for them as much as it's starting to make a difference for me. Now, wish to God that I had my leg back, wish to God that I had my colon back, that uh, I wish that some days this was all just a bad dream and I could wake up and be back to my normal, uh, to my normal state of being, but here I am. So this is my new reality and I've got to learn how to embrace it. And the more I embrace it and the more I use it as an opportunity to serve, the better off I am. The humbler I am, the happier I am. Hopefully, the better of a man I am. So that's that's kind of the lesson. Um, in terms of like, you know, just daily activities that we all take for granted. What what is it? You know, losing your, you say your large intestine. Mm-hmm. Is that how do you how do you how like eating and doing normal things how does that work now and if anything i'm asking is off limits let me know but no nothing's off limits what is off limits is my computer just came unplugged from the wall so i have to reach over here and plug it back in if i don't fall so give me one second can you put it on pause you're totally fine so i think i have now put this in a spot where um the dog won't trip it out of the wall again Hopefully that made everything brighter. So how so how is life so changed? Even, so, so even simple things like that, you know, as an example, I guess. Okay, Plug well, computer in, but yeah, what's so? What is... So not having a leg. First of all, not having a leg requires me to use a walker. I've got my trusty walker right here. Okay. Here's my trusty walker. I so I new uh, leg for a while. So uh, it acts as four little legs that I use to propel myself down the hallway with, with my one good leg. And uh, I use that to get around with, and then I have a wheelchair. So of course, with a walker and a wheelchair, you can't carry anything. Your mobility is greatly reduced and your ability to go do things like go upstairs. I haven't been upstairs in six months. I haven't been down in the basement in six months. I'm uh, restricted pretty much to the main living space on the main floor of my house which is not a problem because that's where my bedroom is and the kitchen, the two most important parts of my house. So um, that, you know, that makes it, uh, that makes it a little bit of a challenge. Uh, but that said, I am getting fitted for a prosthetic leg. So I'm going to become the bionic man here in the next couple of months where they've got all these really high tech components uh, that they're putting together to make this very special prosthetic leg, which will hook into a socket that my uh, reconstructed um, uh, left buttocks will fit into. So they, you know, they took the skin out of my thigh and folded it into thirds and shoved it into the cavity left behind from where my pelvis was. And so I have two buttocks still, although one is kind of a fake one, one is kind of made up. Um, and so in that one, I'll, I'll stick my I'll stick that one into a socket that is attached this to this artificial leg, and then the components of that leg are are super highly engineered and very um, carefully built and controlled by computers actually, so that when I make movements, they can really help 
accentuate what those movements are and allow me more flexibility. Now, um, I still have some wounds that need to heal a little better before I'll be able to do that, but there's a great deal of hope that once that um, I've healed, that this, this prosthetic leg will give me enough mobility where I can carry on with a certain amount of um, mobility and a semblance of normalcy. So I'm really looking forward to doing that. Um, go ahead. Yeah, that was, well, that was a question I had because when I heard about, you know, when you lose your pelvis and then you talked about a prosthetic, I'm, I'm thinking, well, where does it, where does it attach to? So they, you said they reconstructed part of the side that they took out. Yeah, so what they did was um, they took the pelvis out. So the whole pelvis on the left-hand side is gone. So um, uh, from the pubic bone to the tailbone, uh, they cut through the con uh, connective tissues that are there because it's not one solid piece of bone. And then they, they cut through that and uh, cut it off around the spine and then uh, pulled all those bone plates out of there and took, of course, the thigh bones out. Uh, you know, the femur came out and all the other bones came out. <clears throat> and then from about the knee and above, they took the skin of my thigh and they folded it, wrapped it around itself and took some of the tissue that was still good, that was not cancerous. They, they wrapped it around and stuck it into that cavity that was left where my pelvis came out. So it, it gave me now a new uh, manufactured butt cheek. <laughs> there's, there's so many Hollywood jokes right there. Yeah. So, well, I asked the doctor if when she was doing this, if she felt like she really had to cut me a new one. Uh, and, Ripped and a new she, one? Yeah. And uh, she said, no, you kept the old one, but I did have to do some other fancy footwork back there. So that uh, was pretty funny. Well, it is. I mean, and, and, you know, and that's, you know, that's part of your good attitude as you can see the, you know, the humor because people, I think my guess is people are really uncomfortable and they don't know what to say or how to act or what, what to ask or what not to ask, you know, what's off limits, what's not, you know, I'm yeah. sure the curiosity is, you know, going through the roof here. So. Well, a lot of people are a little hesitant to ask questions and they don't know what to ask. Uh, they don't know how to ask it in a way that doesn't come across as too nosy or too um, offensive. But I try to put everybody at ease and say, look, nothing's off limits here and I don't really care. I mean, what my experience is can be your experience too. I mean, we can share this experience together where you can come to understand a little bit more about me and I can understand a little bit more about you if we can both just get outside of ourselves for a moment and talk about the reality of what this is, the, the fact that this just is and is. It's not, you know, it's, um, it's, it's a judgment to say this is bad, right? That's rendering it a judgment. This is a bad thing. And um, that's a judgment. But just to talk about it as an is, my leg was amputated. Just to simply state it as a fact is something quite different. Um, and so to the extent possible, just treating things as facts and then allowing the irony of some of those facts to come to play uh, creates moments of both deep engagement and sometimes just downright humor. So um, yeah, it, it, can really, uh, it, it can really make a huge difference. So 
yeah, so so there's the business about the leg, but then they had to, of course, take my large intestine uh, because of this infection. It was severe. It almost cost me my life. I died um, twice on the way to the hospital. Um, but then the emergency medicine people kept me, brought me back, but I died twice. And, uh, and if it had been 45 minutes later uh, getting me to the hospital, they would not have been able to bring me back. So we cut it really close. And so the only thing that they really could do was emergency surgery and cut out my large intestine because all it was doing was oozing out infection faster than my body could deal with it. And um, so what do you do now? Well, I don't have a large intestine. So the small intestine comes to an abrupt end and is no longer connected all the way down to the bottom. Okay. Uh, and so what happens is, is they have to take that uh, small intestine right at the end called the ileus and they uh, cut a hole in the side of your stomach wall and they poke that the end of the large intestine out through the side of your stomach wall, and then they attach a bag to it. The, the colostomy bag, is that what they're called, or something like that? Yeah, this is an ileostomy bag. Colostomy okay. bag is very much the same thing, except it's lower down. Okay. Um, it's the same thing. So I will eat food, and it'll pass through my stomach and my small intestine, and then it'll go straight into this bag. Okay. And then, then you have to empty the bag uh, several times a day, uh, and that's functionally how that works. Um, uh, practically, uh, what that means is that not all of the food you eat gets digested in your small intestine. And so you don't, uh, you don't get all the nutrients that you need through the normal channels. You've got to find alternative ways to get some of the nutrients that you need. You also have to uh, be very careful about how much you eat because uh, I lost probably 35 pounds while I was in the hospital. That's in addition to the 40 pounds that my leg weighed. Right. So just in case you want to know, my left leg weighed 40 pounds. It's one of those, did you know moments? <laughs> How much does your left leg weigh? Well, mine weighed 40 pounds. Okay. But then I lost another 30 or more pounds laying there in the hospital uh, after well, I was, in, I was laying in the hospital for three and a half out of the last five months. So uh, when you do that, you lose a lot of muscle mass, you lose a lot of body mass. And so uh, putting that back on is pretty tough because you can't absorb all the nutrients that your body needs to grow and to thrive through your small intestine. So you've got to eat like crazy just to put on any amount of weight. So I'm constantly eating. I've got the opposite problem that many people have or most people want to find ways to lose weight. I got to find crazy ways to gain weight. Um, and so it requires a lot of supplementation, a lot of um, extra eating. A lot. So I'm eating five, six times a day. I'm eating a lot of high calorie, high protein foods. Got to eat a lot of protein to heal the wounds apparently. In fact, the doctor said uh, it would be physically impossible to eat enough protein to heal all the wounds that I've got. So uh, it's protein, 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 and supplements. So I'm probably eating uh, 5,000 calories or better every day. And I'm just now beginning to put a little bit of weight back, back on. So wow. um, yeah, it's, it's a bit of a challenge. So how are your 
tell me about your 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 girls and your wife and and how this is what have you seen with them through this whole process how has it been for them well that's a very good question um at first well of course my wife's been along the journey the whole way since uh, i went into the hospital she was there every day she came to the hospital every day she's been part of the experience she's been talking with the doctors uh, with me about everything she's fully up to speed with it so although it's um unfortunate for for her and me and very challenging for the both of us to be sure she was quite um accustomed to it after a while after a number of weeks it's like okay well we can do this this is our thing we can we can we can deal with this um the children on the other hand it's been a little bit of a harder struggle for them because one day i was here and then the next day i was not here and then i wasn't home for you know months on end and so dad was gone and some of it was a bit of a black hole for them dad is gone but we don't know what dad's up to we don't know what he's doing we don't know what's going on we hear only a certain amount of things but we can't experiencing i can't experience it and then when I came home and I was missing a leg, it was very challenging because it was shocking, you know? Yeah. It's shocking to see somebody you know that doesn't have a limb anymore. It's just, it's a shock to the system. And so some of my kids didn't know quite how to respond and kind of, um, they kind of hid out from me. They kind of uh, not would run away, but they would, they would avoid being around me for a while. And it took, it took my needing help to get out of the house to go to doctor's appointments and only having some of my kids around to help uh, get me out of the house um, and getting them to be involved in what does this mean and what's going on and how do we have to do this stuff that they became uh, more familiar with and accustomed to what was going on so that they knew how to serve too and thus taking away some of the fear and the shockingness of of the whole experience so um that's just taken a little bit longer for them to get used to but even they are now all used to it and you know now we make jokes of it all we have we we tell the jokes of what do you call a man with no arms and no legs floating in the ocean uh kinds of jokes by the way what do you call a, a man with no arms or legs floating in the ocean. I think he's called Bob, if I remember the joke correctly. Yeah, Bob. But there's another way we found out about it. So what's another way? What's another thing you could call a man with no arms and no legs floating around in the ocean? Uh, I don't know. Completely screwed. <laughs> well, there was one similar that it was about the same joke about what you call that guy like that in, in a hot tub. And it was stew. Stew. <laughs> <laughs> completely screwed is, yeah. Yeah, and you have to, you're right, you have to do that. So we do that and it's, and when it happens spontaneously, it's absolutely hysterical and, uh, you know, nobody's feelings are getting hurt and everybody's, everybody's laughing, having a good time and it takes away some of the stigma of it all. And so, yeah, it's been a bit of a process, but once everybody's gotten used to it, it's become far more natural, uh, far more acceptable. Uh, and everybody knows more and more how to honestly deal with it. So you, uh, 
I, I remember one of the conversations I saw on Facebook was a friend of yours. I don't know if it was a friend of yours or your brother or something that talking about your laptop and about <laughs> having a half-assed laptop or half-assed. Yeah. <laughs> that was, yeah. What I, rolled, you, what I rolled, I rolled, I laughed out loud on that one when I saw that. But. There you go. Yeah. What do you call a laptop when you only have half a lap? It's a half-assed laptop. It's a half-assed laptop. <laughs> Works. There you go. Uh, well, well, there's kind of the story. That's, that's kind of where we are with it now. Now it's just a matter of healing up, getting ready for for a prosthetic leg and hopefully uh, getting the last of my wounds to finally heal. So uh, once that's in place, then I can really get on with the next stage. Uh, that's not to avoid this stage. Uh, I've got to fully embrace this stage, but the next stage needs to be gotten to soon too. It's time to move on to the next thing. And so hopefully that's not that far away. So what is the next thing? Oh, the next thing will be getting into the leg Okay, getting okay. into the prosthetic leg, getting used to it, learning how to walk again, uh, learning how to learning how to get around, uh, learning how to do things on my own. And then after that, it'll be uh, getting clearance to drive again. I still have my right leg, which means I have access to all of the controls that I need for a car, but uh, it's getting in and out of a car uh, with a prosthetic leg, which will be the next challenge. And then I'll be able to drive. Well, I guess in terms of driving, I guess you get rock star parking for the rest of your life. Oh yeah, I have right. the blue tag with the wheelchair guy on there. It's awesome. It's like, it's like that's what more. I told them. Yeah, we can go to we can go to Disneyland now and get primo parking. It's on so many levels, and first on the airplane, um, all the all those things, all the perks. Nice. Well, that's good. Um. I feel like we could just chat about this on and on and on. Is, is there something that, that you want people to know, you know, about you or about this experience that maybe I didn't ask you? Well, I suppose to sum everything up is I'm just a guy. I'm just an ordinary guy like any other ordinary guy. I never once imagined cancer would have happened to me. Uh, I never anticipated those words ever coming out of a doctor's mouth when it had anything to do with my health. Uh, I never expected to lose a limb. I never expected to have my colon surgically removed. I never anticipated any of this sort of thing from happening. Um, and it does get to me. There are times when it, it truly gets me down. Uh, and there are times when I really wish that I could do something else. Like my kids get opportunities to go skiing up here in the local Pocono mountains. And that's something that I've always enjoyed doing with them ever since they were young, ever since they were four years old, we put them on skis and I would take them skiing. Well, those days are done now. And I'm, I'm, I'm missing that. Uh, and I'm going to miss that when it's time for, for grandchildren to come along, I won't be able to teach them how to ski. Uh, I'm going to miss that. Uh, you know, uh, there, there, there are just some things like that, that when you realize it, when you stop and realize it, that you, you can't do some of these things anymore, you really, it can get to you. And it does get to me. And 
though I've made a commitment not to go down the rabbit holes, there are still times when it, when the sadness kind of creeps in. Um, but you got to fight it. You got to let it, you can authentically deal with the sadness of it all. You can be authentically sad. Let it have its moment. Let it, let it, let it rear its head and say that it's here, but then let it move on like a wave in the ocean. Let it wash over you and then wash past you. Um, and you'll find that things are smoother on the other side. And even though it's tough, even though I've got to learn how to do things differently now, uh, at least I can still do things. And as long as I can still do things, and as long as I can still uh, try to do things for other people, um, then the sadness stays at bay. Um, the rabbit holes become fewer and further between. Uh, and the happier I get with everything. So therein, I think, is the bigger, biggest lesson is serve, be happy, and remember that um, this isn't always going to be the way everything is. It, it can be different. It can be more. It can be other. So there you go. There's my story. Well, you are a, a model. I mean, I, I knew you were a class act human before all this, and you have just proven that even more to me. Um, just you're, you're, you're a model of, you know, keeping on, keeping on, you know, you, you call yourself the Phoenix and the, you're rising from the ashes and, <laughs> and you have, you know, I've, 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 I've enjoyed those stories and that perspective. Um, and I, uh, it's inspired me to, to not whine about, you know, my own crap, which is easy to do when you're in your own thing, but your, your story is, it just inspired me for sure. And I, I really appreciate you sharing, sharing it and being real with it and being real about it. And I, I love the humor. I love the, the, all of it, the aspects, the darkness, all the things that people are, you know, that's normal. You can experience realizing, you know, all right, now what, so what, now what kind of thing, you know, and move on. And so I, I'm excited to see what you do with this. Well, I'll be excited to see myself. And that, yeah, and that's, I guess uh, that was maybe a question. It's like, what am I, you know, I've often thought about illnesses and things and, and why, why am I so lucky? Why don't I have, why don't I get hit with these things? And I always think about how I would move on if something X, Y, Z or something happened and what would I do differently? You know, what would I then do? I, I think maybe I'm preparing myself for something that, you know, not that I want to come, but if it does, then I will at least mentally be, all right, here's where we are now. And what now? What next? Yeah. Don't wish too strongly. No, no, I don't. I don't, you know, I, I have enough issues already. I don't need to add to them. But uh, so anyway, man, thank you so much for spending this time to share. This has been so good to see you again and talk to you. And I wish I was closer by you know, to, to drop in and see you guys despite COVID. Well, thank you. It's good to see you too, my friend. So yeah, I, maybe, maybe we do another follow-up after, after the leg comes or something. That would be kind of fun if you're, if you're open to that. 
Yeah, I'll be glad to show off the new leg once I've got it and have a little bit of experience with it under my belt. Yeah, or even, you know, yeah, just that process and, you know, sharing that is inspiring and, and uplifting to people. And that's, I think, one of the ways you serve is just sharing your story, what you've done. So, well, there's still more story to be written. Yeah, I, I expect uh, Phoenix, no, not Phoenix, but just uh, phase six. I think you put phase five on your on your blog. So I'm looking forward to six. There you go. Coming soon. Okay, man. <clears throat> Thank you so much for your time again and say hi to your family for me. Sure will. All sure right, will. Man. You do the same. Thank you again for listening to the Parish to Thought show. We would love your comments and feedback on our website at briankeithparish.com slash feedback. If you love or hate what you hear, please give us a rating on whatever platform you find us. You're still here? Click on the next episode for more from the Parish to Thought show.